here in the St. John household, we're a big fan of thrillers and horror movies. Now, to be more specific, I love me a good thriller, and my wife loves to be scared. Now, I would never claim to be an expert on either genre. I just know that I've seen a lot of movies in each. So as we work toward the inevitable zombie apocalypse coming our way, we have a mantra. St. John's stick together. No splitting up to investigate a new spooky area. No going by ourselves with a mysterious stranger who may have the answers we need. No leaving someone behind. If you live in the house that I live in right now, it means that you're sticking with us. So watching Breakdown, my internal alarm went off. Jeff Taylor, what are you doing? Don't let your wife go with this stranger, but, and I got to put on my old man pants now and say, it was different back in 1997. And I was when I was 10, I was allowed to ride my bike across town by myself and rent R-rated movies. Don't blame my parents. They rule. But now I'm hesitant. I, I, or, sorry. But now I'm hesitant when my oldest daughter rides her bike just in front of our house. So in regards to Jeff's decision to see Amy take that ride, do you buy it? Would you believe it? What would you have done? You know what? It doesn't matter. She trusted J.T. Walsh, and the result is this glorious little thriller. Hello there. My name is Adam St. John. I'm an actor, teacher, podcaster, and a millennial, and this is Rewind 2552. That's right. We're going back a quarter of a century to the week to discuss the newest and highest grossing entry into the U.S. box office. 25 years ago, 52 weeks in a year. My guest this week has a very similar-themed podcast. His name is Brian Rowe of Film at 50. Brian, how are you doing today? Thanks so th thanks so much for having me here. This is a this is a huge thrill. I have been doing Film at 50 for a year and a half and it's funny in the very beginning I thought about doing 25. Yeah. And I went, mm, "No, let's go farther back because I'm like very familiar with films of the 90s. I was sure. born in 84, so I grew up with films of the 90s." Uh, 70s is maybe my favorite decade of movies and there's so many films from that decade I'd never seen before mm -hmm. so <laughs> I was like well I'll find more discoveries in the 70s so that's where but it's it's very far back I think you're, you're hitting a, a, a niche here of a 97 spectacular year for movies I love that year yeah I, I the the nostalgia train is a rolling um, and <laughs> yeah. uh and and so and this is our so I believe this is the the 18th week the 18th episode so you know we've made our way and uh, actually to get a little bit into it so the specific week that we're talking about is the week of May 2nd through the 8th of 1997 so forget the week because that's very specific so let's just say it's May 97 Brian I'm curious how old are you where are you living what is your clearest memory of this time I actually have a very clear memory of walking out of Breakdown, which would have been the Sunday it came out. Because this movie, I mean, I feel like, and we'll get into it, I feel like not enough people talk about this movie. It kind of came and went in a way. It came out right before the summer movies, The Fifth Element, Lost World. And it, I think it, ha it had a good opening weekend, but it kind of fell off after that. Yeah. And this, for me, was like the movie of the summer of 97 in a way. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see it twice in the theater, but boy, this really made a huge impression on me. May of 97, I was 12 years old. We had just moved to Reno from Sacramento a few months prior. And something I like to do with my dad often on Sunday afternoons, it was kind of a tradition, at least for a couple of years around then. We'd go to, especially, especially in like 96, 97, there were a lot of action movies. 
felt like yeah. every other weekend there'd be a new one. Like just at this time, we have just in the, like those few weeks, we have Volcano followed by Breakdown, followed by Fifth Element. It was like every weekend almost we'd get one. And yes. my dad loves action films. And my dad is a huge Kurt Russell fan. So we were seeing this one. And nice. this just, this struck us both. <laughs> like it's just the ultimate thriller because he really is playing the everyman. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, there, well, and there's something, again, I, it's, it's it's hard to not watch this one with a little bit of 2022 because I just I just know that like there's a lot of things that I see now and it's like I don't want to jump there but it's like nobody's getting in that car nobody is getting in that right. today but but back then it's like it felt more like you know what this sounds like a good idea I think I think I'll I'll hop in and see what happens um but we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit uh but uh but Brian thank you for sharing a little bit um. So now here are some just some random things going on in the world. We'll get into uh, some of these, what the music and the top 10 here. So um, pulled a couple of things from this week uh, on May 2nd. Um, scandal was a brewing, apparently, because two different things happened. Um, one more related to pop culture than the other. So on May 2nd, um, Eddie Murphy uh was um, caught with the uh, the transsexual prostitute of Atasone. I can't say the last name, so I'm going to butcher it. But I remember that was a big deal when she was arrested or and where they both were kind of caught up in this um, prostitution thing. So that happened this week. Um, also on May 2nd, Donald Trump and former wife Marla Maples announced that they were separating. <laughs> okay. So that also was happening a quarter of a century ago. Oh, my gosh. Um, on May 5th that week, uh, longstanding sitcom Married with Children aired its last episode. Oh, so the, my gosh. The Bundys said goodbye. I don't when, – when Married with Children really started, I was way too young to, like, get it. But, like, I, I remember, like, watching it in syndication on Fox and being like, this is a pretty funny show. Yeah. Married with Children was also something I bonded with with my, my dad. We would watch – I would say the last two or three seasons, we watched almost all of them. And I, have you heard the story about how like the series ended? Like the cast didn't even know it was being canceled until weeks later. Like there oh. wasn't really a, there wasn't really a series finale of that show. It just ended. They wow. just canceled it I after 11 seasons. <laughs> you think they would have had a wrap up final episode, but they never really had one. Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's bummer. Ed O'Neill. We, we hardly knew ye. Um, <laughs> So uh, and then uh, two other things here on May 6th. Um, so the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that year had uh, its inductees, which included but are not limited to the Bee Gees, Crosby, Stills and Nash, the Jackson Five, Joni Mitchell and Parliament Funkadelic. So those were those were those years inductees. Um, I can't say I'm a big fan of, of any of those groups, but I certainly know of them. Mm hmm. And then um, uh, on May 6th that week, um, David Duchovny and Taya Leone got married um, and they would stay married for quite some time until his inevitable um, sex addiction uh, took over. Um, I don't want to go down that path because I don't know much <laughs> about it. Um, okay. Other than to say that that was a I, I forgot. I totally forgot that those two were married. Really? No, I knew they were married. I, I like had a vague memory that they did get divorced at some point, right? But they yes. were together a while, yeah. I want to say. They, they were, yeah. They, well into the aughts. I think at least, I wouldn't say at least a decade. Right. Didn't he direct her in a movie? I don't know. I can't remember. House oh, of I D? Don't know. I don't know. Oh. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. Um, so now we're to the Billboard Hot 100. 
Uh, the number one song is no longer Can't Nobody Hold Me Down by Puff Daddy and Mace, but we will hear a snippet of the new number one, and we're going to stick with Bad Boy Records. And so I just speak my peace, keep on, my peace, Cubans with the Jesus peace, with you. my peace, packing, asking who want it, they got it, flaunt it, that Brooklyn, we on it. Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. I guess that's why they're broken, you're so fake. Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. I guess that's why they're broken, you're so fake. Yes, we are talking about the notorious B.I.G. and hypnotize. Um... So I was very aware. I I definitely, I think maybe it was like a rebellion against my stepdad who was very much into rock. I I hopped on the rap train like at a very young age and was always a fan of, um, especially of like this era, this sort of like glam rap with with Puff Daddy and Mason and Biggie. Um, so there's a few things about this song. Um, so it was the first single. From his uh, his album Life After Death, which is just so crazy that that's what the album was called, um, because this was the last song that was released before his drive by shooting death, which would happen a week later. So the uh, the title of the album is sort of just an ironic twist of fate, considering where that would go. Um, one of only five songs to reach number one posthumously for the performer. Uh, Rolling Stone ranked this song as the 30th greatest rap song of all time, and this. This is fu- this is going to be funny to us now, but I think when this re- episode releases, it'll be a bit dated, but um, it'll be hard to forget. So um, the Notorious B.I.G. was up for a Grammy for Best Solo Rap Performance that year. He would lose to our newest Best Actor winner, Will Smith, for Men in Black. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I, we, you know what? This is coming out so long after the Oscars. We don't need to go down that path at all at all um although i will say that i think hindsight being 2020 uh that is the absolute worst choice for best solo rap performance i i do not know how this didn't go to to biggie for this song so anyways so that's just a little bit about uh the notorious big and hypnotize this one will stay at number one for a few weeks to come um so now we're getting very close to talking about breakdown but before we get there um I want to quickly recap through what were the top 10 films at the box office this week. I'll run through them and any uh, that you want to give a little love to before we move on, we'll give, we'll give you some room for that. So at number 10 and down three positions this week, gross point blank number nine and down four positions this week and previous episode of the show murder at 1600 number eight and previous episode of the show and down two positions, the saint Number seven, and new this week, Warriors of Virtue. We'll come back to that. Number six, and down two positions this week, and former episode of the show, Anaconda. Number five, and down three positions this week, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Number four, and down one position, and previous episode of the show, Liar Liar. Number three, and down two positions this week, and last week's episode of the show, the aforementioned Volcano. Um... (laughs) Number two, and new this week, and what could have been the episode that we're talking about, Austin Powers International. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) That was this week. But it was edged out by our number one movie this week and the film that we will be talking about today, 
breakdown. So any any of those spark a, a nostalgia trip for you? Yeah, so, so Austin Powers, I want to say I saw it weekend two with a friend who I had to drag because he had no idea what it was, who Mike Myers even was, I want to say. And we laughed our asses off the whole movie. And then I remember spending the next few weeks telling all my friends, oh my God, you have to see Austin Powers. Nobody knew what it was. Like those first few weeks it came out, it was kind of flying under the radar. And it, it took till home video for people to really discover that movie. But well, I saw I, it in the theater early on. I definitely, I, I remember this was rented and I, it was definitely a movie, uh, not unlike Breakdown, because I was a bit young. Um, uh, that these, I mean, this just struck this. I thought this was so funny. And I, and I mean, and, you know, and you know, it, the third one, I think really peters off, but I thought, I thought the, the spy who shagged me was also pretty funny as well. So I, I always in love, I mean, and what a, I feel like, most years there's always that one iconic character that like everybody is for Halloween. I yeah. Mean, when the dark Knight came out, I mean, how many Heath Ledger jokers did we see that Halloween? I mean, it was crazy how many Austin powers there were the year that this came out. Yeah. But it's so interesting how it had such a soft opening and it took a while for that movie to build. And then spy who shagged me came out two years later. And that was like a huge theatrical hit. So yes. by 99, yeah. everybody loved that character. Indeed. Indeed. Um, any, oh, okay. So I wouldn't, so this is one of the few times I've gone through this where I have been just straight up stumped by a movie. I had never, ever even heard of warriors of virtue before. Do you, do you know of this movie? Uh, <laughs> like it's not coming to mind. It sounds like, like a children's like book series or something. So, is it, it like, what genre is that film? So it's like, it's like, Fantasy, fantasy adventure. Yeah. So I, I just pulled the one sentence synopsis from IMDb. It says a young boy is whisked away to the mythical land of Tao, where he becomes the center of a conflict between an evil Lord and a group of animal warriors. Um, uh, and it's, uh, Ang Angus McFadden is in it. A young Marley Shelton is in it. Um, but I, what I wanted to mention more than anything was that this was the first American film directed by Ronnie Yu, who I think is most known for trying to resurrect horror franchises. He directed Bride of Chucky and Freddy oh, right. Jason. Um, so I, I straight up was 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 flabbergasted by this movie. I had no idea it was it was a thing. Um, it doesn't look very good. <laughs> This is, I feel like late 90s, this period where these random movies came out that nobody saw. And it's like, you years on, you have to look it up on IMDb to know what it even is. Like, exactly. Exactly. It happens I, all the time. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. So are we, are we ready to move on to Breakdown? Let's do it. Okay. So Breakdown is uh, directed by Jonathan Mostow uh, and written by him and Sam Montgomery. Um, so... I don't want to spend too much time on, on Mostow, uh, other than to say that uh, I pulled three other films that he directed, all of which I know, none of which I've seen, which is U571. Uh, he did the Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and he also did the movie that I thought looked good, and then upon reading reviews I heard was not, was Surrogates. I think that's a Bruce Willis movie. Yeah. Um, but, like, this is, I feel like this is one of those directors who just sort of, like, this was the diamond in the rough film. Like, <laughs> yes. I think it just was, like, a perfect little gem that, like, he happened to be at the helm of. And we'll talk a little bit about Mount Rushmore's later. I don't think he has a Mount Rushmore. I just think this is his peak. This is, like, like this is the it. best he yeah. did. 
the only so U571 I remember seeing that in the theater I remember being excited because it was directed by Breakdown's director that yeah. was like I was like oh and I did not it, it had some claustrophobic feel to it it was okay but wasn't great the only other film of his I guess I'd say I'd like is Terminator 3 even though it's much it's a lesser film than the first two and and I will straight up say I've never seen these I and I'm I it's I in T3, I think, is the only one I haven't seen of them all. So I really, I don't understand why I've skipped over it. I'll go back. I'll I think give... Terminator 3 is better than the recent three we've gotten, like in the last 12 years. I think yeah. it's better than those. Well, that's good. Well, I'll definitely get, I have to, I have to watch it. I, I, it's like, it'd be like, I don't know, watching all of the Harry Potters, but skipping Azkaban, like just, yeah. just to do it. Like, I don't know. I should just go back and do but it. But I, I looked him up. Earlier today, I'm like, what has he done in the last decade? Because I remembered Surrogates. I think I rented it and it was okay. But yeah. he has one other title from 2017 with Sam Worthington, and that's it. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's sad. He's such a gifted director on Breakdown that I yeah. wish he had more titles. Morgan I, I agree. I absolutely <laughs> agree. Um, so in terms of our cast, I'm gonna list uh I'm gonna list five and then um I'm gonna, I might, unless you, unless you want me to call them out, I'm going to save two because they'll definitely come up in a category later. But definitely, so this movie is helmed by Kurt Russell, who plays Jeff Taylor. Kathleen Quinlan plays his wife, Amy. J.T. Walsh as Red Bar. M.C. Ganey as Earl. And Jack Noseworthy as Billy. Those are sort of the two, uh, two main henchmen to J.T. Walsh. Those are, I would say, are our main characters. Did I leave anybody out that you feel like deserves some love? Uh, so I pulled up IMDb. Rex Lynn as the Sheriff Boyd, I think, also is great in this. The Sheriff who we he, he has, what, two major scenes in the movie? That would yeah. be the other person I would I would mention. Um, and so and then the other one that I would have mentioned and I'll, I'll say him now too is Jack McGee as the bartender. Oh, yeah, he's good, too. <laughs> um, who I you know, he shows up in everything. I know uh, I know him mostly from Rescue Me, which was the, the Dennis Leary helmed FX firefighter show. Um, but I don't know. I just I just like seeing Jack McGee in things. I just yeah. think he's great. I worked in a, I worked in feature film casting in L.A. in 2000 from 2008 to 2010. And Jack McGee came in all the time for auditions for our movie. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So I got to see him audition in person a lot. That's great. Um, so in terms of accolades, not too many to speak of. Um, some that make sense. And and all of the uh, the we'll, we'll just go through them. So the sat the Saturn Awards, um, they they had this up for best this they should just put this up this is this award is bullshit so they have an award for best action slash adventure slash thriller just make those all separate things um which which it would lose to i must say the far superior la confidential okay um and it also um jt walsh was up for best supporting actor at the saturn awards who lost to uh vincent d'onofrio for men in black okay (laughs) again i feel like these are separate Types of movies, but whatever. We're cool. Um, but at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. I know. Blockbuster. I just saw this. Yeah. Yes. Kathleen Quinlan won Best Supporting Actress for a suspense film. <laughs> I love that. That's so random. Like, d- was she there? Like, it's. can I have access to her winning, like, the clip? I, I, <laughs> man. Oh, that would be, that'd be something to find. Rewatching old Blockbuster Entertainment <laughs> Awards speeches. <laughs> Exactly. But I, I'm I'm kind of surprised she won that. She's not in the movie very much. She's no, really not. only in, what, 15 minutes maybe? Like, yeah. she's in it very little. So that surprises me that she would win that, let alone be nominated. Well, she she certainly <laughs> left her mark, we must yeah. say. Um, so, Brian, it's, it's 1997. 
Siskel and Ebert were at the height of their power. Did this movie get two thumbs up? So I, I forgot to look this up. I'm pretty sure Roger Ebert gave it three stars. He gave it thumbs up. I remember, I can't remember what Siskel said. I remember Ebert did not like the ending. He said he, he thought the last scene with JT Walsh and or, can we give away spoilers? <laughs> no, yeah, no, uh, no, we can. Well, totally spoil the movie. Oh, okay. Um, but like uh, Ebert said, he he didn't like, he, he felt like the ending had a weird tone to it, but yeah. he overall liked it. I can't remember. Did Siskel give a thumbs down? So um, it was never officially reviewed on the show, but oh. in terms of using the nomenclature, Siskel would have given it a thumbs down. Uh, he, he uh, I pulled this from his review. He said, the truck driver is played by JT Walsh, and this is a good time to sing the praises of one of our most dependable supporting actors. But as good as he is, he can't escape the tortured path of the script of Breakdown, as this over-the-top entertainment frustrates much too often. This is much less of a highway thriller than Steven Spielberg's Duel, and only marginally better as a city folk in trouble picture than Meryl Streep in the River Wild. So oh, come on. So Siskel, yes. man. I never I almost never agreed with him. <laughs> so Siskel so did not like this movie. But I also have part of um Ebert's and I wanted I have part of his opening and part of the end because it you you were nailing exactly what I wanted to get into, which is that um it starts with Breakdown is a taut, skillful, and surgically effective. The story of a man who finds himself trapped in a surrealistic nightmare. The story's setup is more entertaining than the payoff. As Hitchcock observed, suspense plays better than action. But the film delivers right up until a final moment I'll get to later, which then he goes to say... I'm recommending Breakdown, but I have a problem with the closing scene I mentioned above. It involves a situation in which a villain is disabled and powerless, yet a coup, a coup de grace is administered. There is or was a tradition in Hollywood thrillers that the heroes in movies like this kill only in self-defense. By ending as it does, Breakdown disdains such moral boundaries. I so, disagree. <laughs> I've always I, disagreed with that. <laughs> I do too, and I, I I was hoping that that could be sort of our our pathway into the movie would be I guess starting at the end. Okay. Because I I I feel like I understand what he's saying, but then again, you know, I'm married. I like my wife quite a bit. Um, if this if this and I, so. I, I, I really – I got so stuck on this review. I got so stuck on this Ebert review because not only do I feel like – this is definitely a question of, well, what would you do in this situation, which, of course, we all have different reactions. But I think part of what Ebert doesn't mention in his review is that it is certainly alluded to that uh, J.T. Walsh and crew have been doing this for a long time. And obviously we're unaware uh, – how many of these have ended in death, but it certainly seems like the willingness that they have to kill Kathleen Quinlan's character would suggest they've done this before. Right. Um. So I, I disagree in the sense that this guy needs to be taken out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a monster. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And they, and like, and that's the thing with, with all, they're all monsters. MC Ganey's a monster. Jack Noseworthy's a monster. Uh, that, the whole crew and their whole setup of what they're doing. It's just, ah, it's terrible. It's disgusting. Yeah. So first off, there is a reference early. I've never like a hundred percent confirmed. It sounds like these guys or maybe just Walsh, like that there was sexual assault too. Like it wasn't just like they kidnapped her because of that mention. He says, when he says curly brown hair, like, yeah. 
there is like an it alludes to like there might have been something even more than just like them kidnapping her and she has been put through the ringer she's like stuffed in a chest in a basement and at the end he is jt walsh is viciously trying to kill them yes (laughs) so the idea that oh he's disabled at the bottom and no they should just call the authority it's like and I love it's not Kurt Russell, it's Kathleen Quinlan, and she pulls the trigger. I, I think that is a great moment. I don't know. I do, t- I do too. <laughs> I do too. I mean, and it's, it's, well, and then like, I guess to call back Ebert's review, like, is it more humane to just let him like suffer? What is he gonna, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't, <laughs> he's gone. I mean, I mean in a way, I think the suffering is also a very uh, appropriate ending to JT Walsh's character, but I agree. I think. I think Kathleen Quinlan being the one to like pull the brake and have the truck just land on him. And I mean, and maybe that's just a sadistic thing to say, but I, it is quite, it's like good that that guy is no more. He doesn't need to be more. He is, he is gone. Yeah. If the movie ended with like him finding her with uh, Kurt Russell, finding his wife and they turn around or something and, and Kathleen Quinlan says, no, I'm not going to let them get away with this. I'm going to put him down. And she were to like, they went back and then she viciously murdered him or something. That would be bad. Yeah. But like he is actively trying to kill them at the end. And like, and, and she's like barely get out of that truck there. I mean, it just, it makes sense to me. The only thing you could, you could possibly argue that, I guess Mostow could have made it in a way where as Kurt Russell's ripping her out, like right as they hit the ground, the truck just falls and they watch it fall on top of him. I guess that could have worked too, but I like the cold blooded. She has been put through the ringer and she's just like, (laughs) I love it. I love that. And what I like about that too, is that I think that's one of those, that's an action movie trope that this movie actually doesn't indulge in. Is yeah. the, just in the nick of time, right? Exactly. It's, it, the act of It's messier. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, and like it's that. like, it's an R-rated action film that has really, really bad guys in it. It's like, I don't know, like we start considering every moral decision by one of the heroes. It's like, no, <laughs> it's fine I, by me. It's it's funny you mentioned that, the, the R-ratedness of it, because, you know, it's, it's not, it's not too gory, you know. I mean, it's there. People, some people get shot. Like, like I, you know, I'm thinking about MC Ganey's death, right? It could have, like, he's not shattered with bullets, you know. It's not this big bloody ordeal. Um, in fact, I think that the the violence that is the most evocative is the stuff that's less bloody. When when he's taped MC Ganey's head yes. to the headrest and keeps slamming on the brakes, I mean, that was, I like, I felt that. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about Kurt, Kurt Russell's performance in this movie, but I think he is on another level in this. Like, he is fantastic every step of the way. And that scene in the in in the car when he's got the guy taped, when he's got uh, Ganey with the with the tape around his neck, and like like have we seen Russell that furious in any other movie? Like, he is just like insane in the moment, and he is like. The, the cops coming behind him. He doesn't care. He's just going to keep slamming on the brakes until he finds out where his wife is. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because, you know, I because I, I'm an actor and I and I teach acting. I teach I teach acting at a college. And oh, cool. I think it's one of those things where I, I, you know, lately it seems like the, you know, the trend of like, let's be method and and how like how believable can I make the performance? And that's all that, that's that's all fine and dandy. But I think the characters that are constant like in a world where they're constantly having to respond to the new situation. Like 
what I love about this is it's not quite a ticking clock movie. It doesn't all necessarily take place in like the, in real time, but it's close enough to real time that you're just watching this human being sort of respond from moment to moment. Like what is, and, and I think the setup is great, but it's the, it's the watching Kurt Russell sort of slowly decide what is he going to do next? Right. I mean, he walks out of, he walks out of Bell's diner and he's like, well, shit, what do I do now? So yeah. he gets in the car, he drives around and I think, you know, one of the first big decisions he makes is to like try to run a semi off the road, which is like, <laughs> but then it's like, I'm thinking, well, shit, if, if you're convinced that this driver mm -hmm. has seen or done something with your wife, it's like every, every big choice, it's viable based on the circumstances. And so I'm just, I want to call back to your Kurt Russell thing about his performance because yeah, it's a big it's a big, frustrated, like big, angry performance. But every step of the way, I'm like, I get it. I buy each decision. Yeah, the arc is great, and every scene. I mean, I, I almost, I, I wonder how much of this was shot in sequence because he really does have this fantastic arc of every scene is getting more and more frustrated. And that scene you just mentioned is one of my favorite scenes of his performance because when he stops the semi truck, he's just super calm and he's smiling. He's like, hey, man, what's up? Well, I, I, my wife wasn't at the diner. And to just see that slow progression into madness of like, when the guy's like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and you can just tell he's like, what? I, I've never quite bought that just at that second, the cop car's coming. That's always a little bit hard to believe. But other than that, it's a fantastic scene. Well, and I think, and again, and this is me, like, this is one of those movies where I will try to find a reason for everything because I just, I just like appreciate it so much. I, you know, JT Walsh does mention later that the town has two cops, right? Yeah. They're, and, and that, you know, the, that uh, he's out basically patrolling and there's the other one at the station. And so yeah, at, at that exact moment, yeah, that's a bit fishy. That's a bit coincidental. For, <laughs> that's for okay, though. Yeah. But I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, if that cops just happened to be driving around, I, I don't know. Um, Might have happened, yeah. So I want to talk about um, this. So basically, you know, jumping ahead a little bit here, you know, we – Kurt Russell's been knocked out. And uh, he wakes up and basically he sees that he's being, you know, he's being uh, – uh, extortioned i guess to get money and um and i'm sh i know you, i feel like you know this phrase so i just want to i i love the plant and payoff of the ninety thousand dollars like that is something that is i feel like overlooked in screenplays nowadays i love the fact that they have this silly little conversation about ninety thousand dollars or ninety thousand donuts and like and then if it was just that that's one thing but then like after the jeep careens into the river and it goes down and he escapes we see it float by we have just enough just enough of this reference to the ninety thousand dollars that when he hears the specific dollar amount that his wife is trying to give him a clue that i'm alive you can do this and i i just thought that was so great and i i was i was wondering upon rewatch if it was gonna hold up and you know from where i'm sitting i thought it i thought it aged beautifully <laughs> Yeah, I love good plantings and payoffs. Watching it again last night, I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I did think, like, when when the car goes off into the river and he sees the donut bag, like, in the water, I thought that was maybe a little too much. <laughs> I, I, I felt like, okay, that's really hitting the audience over the head. I think it could have just been enough for the uh, the conversation in the car, which was, what, 25 minutes prior, 20 minutes prior? I mean, I think 
you can yeah. trust the audience enough. I didn't think we needed to see it again in the water like that. It felt kind of like the cop car a little bit. Sure, sure. <laughs> but but no, I love I, I love that because they have that conversation. It's just bantery, and you don't think it means anything. And the fact that that kind of saves them both because they both say the same number that was a cool idea by the screenwriter. Yeah. And then I, another thing that I really liked about uh, you know, and I, I mentioned this specifically on a, an episode I did earlier on Rosewood. But what I love so much about this movie is it feels it feels lived in and real and what and what i mean by that is um just a like brief anecdote so i did i did my grad school at indiana university and i grew up here in washington and so when i got in my 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 then girlfriend but my now wife and i you know we we drove across the country to move there and our first big day of driving we had driven for like 15 16 hours and we're in wyoming we're in the middle of wyoming and it's nothing and we're like, okay, well, we'll we'll stop soon. We'll stop soon. And it's just fucking desert and nothing right. forever, forever. And like, it's getting darker. And I just keep seeing dead deer carcasses. And I'm like, and, and at that point, I'm driving like a little Honda Civic. And I'm like, our car is not. We would lose the battle if we ran into a deer. And so we stopped. I think it was. I think it was Casper, Wyoming. And I couldn't see anything. There was a Motel Six. I was like, I, I guess we're staying here tonight. And we stayed. And when we left the next day, we drove away. And it was weird because the shot in the breakdown where they're up on the hill and they like look and that's basically like the whole town. It's <laughs> that little town. Flame. I was like, man, you know, part of me wants to go like, ah, that's not believable. And maybe that is a like a really, really small town. But I definitely have been to towns that look and feel that small. And I love, I just loved that setup. I, it felt very much like, a man out of place and like not knowing what to do. And I just, I loved, I loved the practical nature of that town. Oh, there are towns like that. I want to say I like driving from Reno to LA when I was going to college there. And we, my partner and I picked up our dog a few years back. We drove to Boise, Idaho. And there was like a long stretch of two hours plus where there was just like nothing. And then there'd be like a little town. You'd have to slow down to 25 miles per hour yeah. for about a minute. And then you're back on the main road. And it's like, there are those towns out there. So I be always believe that it, it's such a funny shot. You see from overhead where it zooms down and there's like just seven buildings and you're like, okay, that's a, that's an interesting city right there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, Bell bells is down the road and then you come into town to do your, your business, your banking. I definitely, the, the bank is going to come up uh, in a later. The bank scene. Because, uh, <laughs> that was, that was amazing. Um, so, so sticking with, with performances, I mean, so so Kurt Russell definitely singing his praises. JT Walsh, where where does this rank for you with JT Walsh? Like, you know, obviously a career that was I think cut a little a little short. He, yes. he wasn't young, but you know, I think he still had time. Where I mean, we talked about this being kind of a long lost gem. Where does this rank for you in terms of of his stuff? Oh, this is the, at the top for me, for him. This is it. Like, this is the JT Walsh performance. And I read today that this was the last film he did, uh, the last film that actually came out before his death. Like, he's in The Negotiator and Pleasantville in 98. Yeah. I think both of those came out after he had died. And he's great in both of those, too. I, I, I love him in Pleasantville. That might be my I, other favorite JT Walsh performance. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's it, for me, the, the three that jump out immediately are this Pleasantville and A Few Good Men. A few good men, of course, yeah. Stand, that's, to... Like, there's such a huge ensemble in A Few Good Men. It's hard to stand out in that movie. Yeah. Like, he he's such a great bad guy, and he's so believable. 
And he's one of those actors, he would just lose himself into the role. Like, you don't watch Breakdown and think, oh, there's JT Walsh. Like, you just buy him as this guy, yeah. as this creep from beginning to end. But you also buy him as being the sweet kind of older guy at the beginning when he stops to help them out. He's that's very believable I, as a sweet man. That's what I was going to say, too. And and like I... You know, when I was doing a little bit of trivia stuff and, and I it was it's one of those things that after you've seen it a few times, it's cool to know, like when when um when MC Ganey comes out of the the gas station and he's like, hey, shit for braids. And like, uh, you know, but basically it's just it's just it's just telling him off when uh, when they leave, you can actually see that JT Walsh's big rig in one of the background of the shot. So it's like he's kind of. Kind of, they're they're both kind of tailing him from that moment on. Oh, you can um, at the gas station. You can yeah. see JT Walsh's big rig in the background. I've yeah. never noticed that. Yeah, oh, um, interesting. And it's so funny in a movie like I don't I don't want to nitpick this movie because I, I I truly think this is a treat and I think that everybody should watch it. But I'm I and I, I here's the thing. I will be totally honest with you. I know fuck all about cars. I don't know anything about them i know that the key goes in and you turn it and then it's on and yep. then after <laughs> after so much time you take it to the car place and they change your fluids and then you get your car back and it's like good to go yeah. um but i find it really i found it really hard to believe that there was one thing that you could unplug from a car that would just do all of the things that it did and that like how do you I guess do you just like leave it plugged in enough that you can drive so far before it jiggles? Like, like for me, one of the biggest nitpicks is the is the the rigging of the car to break down. Um, yeah, but other than that, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty okay with a lot. Of it's that. funny you say that because it, it that never bothers me. It has entered my head before that. Okay, so while they weren't looking, these guys managed to pull just like one wire down why does the car work for five minutes and then stop working? That's weird. And then the fact that he lets his wife go and then he's just like, Oh, Oh, a wire. Oh, okay. We're good. <laughs> it is a little bit hard to believe, but I, it never bothers me that that part of it. Like it doesn't, I, I it doesn't and, ruin it. <laughs> and that's me. That's me. I'm, I, I, I'm really fishing to like find things yeah. to like to nitpick. And even like, it really doesn't bother me either because it's it's what gets us into the world and and I think I I jumped there because it leads to this great like I'll help you push it off the road. Well, is this a new car? They tend to overheat. And they're like, oh shit, and they look at each other. It's like, yeah, this is a new car. We don't yeah. know car stuff either, so we're just gonna go ahead and believe you because you sound like you know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, he 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 really does pull off this sweet old man truck driver mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and how he doesn't press them either. Like he says, I'd, I'd love to help you out and come down, and they say, no, no, we'll just stay. And he says, okay, thank. And he walks back. It's not like you think he would have pressed them for five more minutes. No, 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 no. It's going to get really hot. You guys, I have iced tea. Like, come on in. Like, you think he would have done that. And he just says, okay. And he walks away. And he's already, like, about to leave when she decides to run over to him. So that's yeah. always kind of weird to me. <laughs> well, it is. And, and and like, when I when I think more about, like, the, the, the fucking morbid extended universe of this movie, it makes me think of, like, all of what I have to imagine are dozens of contingencies right what happens if they both come what happens if they both don't come what happens if like he's pissed and she's not like like there's probably like this unofficial guide to how they approach each couple and and, and right. what it and, you know and how they do it and it's the it's the it's the getting back in the big rig and actually starting to drive away that really sells the oh everything's gonna be fine because mm -hmm. there's a line later right that he says like oh I, I couldn't get both of them in the in the truck like the guy stayed so he yep. wanted both of them to come with him yeah and and yeah and exactly and then like there's 
you know, maybe Jack Noseworthy and the other big guy are in the other car tailing behind and they pull over. I mean, yeah, there's there's probably all of these possibilities. Um, so, you know, probably unanswerable question in terms of the wife has said that there's $90,000 in their account. And then Kurt Russell's new objective is to get said $90,000, which, of course, they don't have. Mm hmm. I mean, are you under the impression that if Kurt Russell comes back with that money, they're just going to kill him after he gives it to them? Yeah, that scene where he shows up with the money in front of MC Ganey and he's like, he's like, uh, give me the money. And he's like, wait, I want to know my wife is still alive. And then Ganey says, well, I could just shoot you dead at the side of the road. I'm like, why wouldn't he? Like, why yeah. wouldn't he just shoot him dead? <laughs> like, why even bother with him at this point? He has the money. Yeah. Yeah. To like so that they don't get caught by the police or something, having a dead body on the side of the road. I don't know. It seems like they would just blast them. Like, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, I, yeah. But uh, but you but know, the movie so, has to continue. It can't. I was end just, there. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's like speed. You know, you there can't. Was... You can't ask too many questions. <laughs> you want to enjoy it. Oh man, speed! Wow, what a great movie. Um, okay, so so we have some awards that we do here, uh, but before we get to those. I just want to, you know, this is Brian. I'm going to give you your soapbox. Like, I, I, I assume you feel about this movie the way that I do. So, if there's one like glaring omission of something that we didn't talk about or that might not come up later, what would you like to put out there about Breakdown Now? Well, my main thing with this movie that I love, we talked about a few things. I love the Kurt Russell performance. I think it should have gotten more attention. I really think he's right in this. The thing that's gotten some criticism that I disagree with that I think works really well is the progression of the action in the movie. I, I, I think Eber talked about it too, like some critics said at the time, like it does kind of turn into this crazy action movie in the last five to 10 minutes. You know, the truck going through the, the home and, and I mean, it turns into Fast and Furious a little bit and that last stretch, I mean, you have cars flipping through the air and exploding. And I unapologetically love that about the movie. It's the, the constant ramping up of the tension. And by that moment, when he has a car on the left, car on the right, he backs up and then the truck hits him. And there's that great shot of Kurt Russell's eyes going big of like, oh, my God, yeah. what is happening? I love thrillers that do that. I don't want to see breakdown in the last 10 minutes turn into a quiet, like meditative. Like, I want the big action at the end. And I think it delivers. <clears throat> And it goes just enough, like like one extra step. It might have been too unbelievable. Yeah. But it just and then the truck falling over the bridge and and Kurt Russell dangling. <laughs> it just all works beautifully. And by that point, you're so on their side and you want them to survive that I just think all of that works fantastic. I just had to yeah. say that. <laughs> no, no, no. That no, that's great. Uh, two, two things I want to respond to with that is. You know, part of what I, I teach my my students in terms of acting and storytelling is that, you know, you've got you've got to always think about the opposite of what an objective is. So so Kurt Russell is desperately trying to save his wife and escape. And on the flip side, you have JT Walsh desperately not wanting these people to escape or other like the consequence, you know, jail, whatever. Like yeah, what, he's what in deep trouble <laughs> if so, they escape. So the the amount of energy that Kurt Russell and Kathleen Quinlan are putting into escaping has to be matched by JT Walsh yeah. in, in the or else or else it, it's just like it's why why are we bother? And and the you, you mentioned the action in the car chases. I I mean I I could I could agree that like it does get a little big on the road, except now we've had so many years of like really bad CGI car yes. stuff 
that to practically see a car shoot through and explode is like it, it, it how do you say it? it makes me nostalgic nostalgic for the chaos that was the 90s in action movies I am so nostalgic for 90s action movies and that everything you see on the screen or almost everything you see on the screen is real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if they made this movie, if they made Speed today, it wouldn't work. Like yeah. you have to do it practically. That's what makes these movies. That's why I can continue watching Breakdown over and over again. Yeah. I feel like if you were to make it today, you'd have maybe too much action or too much CGI. I think like this movie had to come out in 97. That was the time for this one. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, cool. Well, we'll move on to the categories here. Some of these are funny. Some of them are silly. Some of them are, you know, they are what they are. So it'll be fun. So uh, our first award is the Cuba Gooding Jr. Icarus Award for the performer who rose the highest and fell the furthest. I can only come up with one answer to this question, and I landed on Kathleen Quinlan. That's the only answer. <laughs> and I think. And I... And I, I looked at her, I, you know, two years prior, she gets her Oscar nom for Apollo 13. Um, she has this and another personal favorite of mine, Event Horizon, in the scene. Oh, right. But then after, it's like the next year she does, she does My Giant, <laughs> which was a movie. Um, and then she basically gets booted to TV. She's in the Hills Have Eyes remake. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of gotten to, you know, God of... I've gotten into faux debates with other guests about what does this award mean? And it doesn't mean that they had to actually have reached like the highest of highs. It's just who got really high and then like just came down. And I don't think it's anything even against her. I just, I think this, this slew of time was as, as good as it ever got for Kathleen Quinlan and just never, never picked back up. Yeah. She's an actress. She's been working for decades. She's always good. I've always loved her. And well, I feel like I watched an early eighties movie recently and she was in it. And I'm just like, wow, she's, she's been acting in films for a long time. And I would say absolutely the height of her career was Apollo 13. That was summer of 95. She got her one and only Oscar nomination in spring of 96 and I guess it was like around the time of the Oscar ceremony that she accepted the role in Breakdown. I read yeah. online earlier and she like she it, she was so busy. She couldn't read the whole script or something, but she knew Kurt Russell was in it and she read the beginning and she said, I'm in <laughs> like, I'll do it. I, and that, then this came and a, a year later. And yeah. then, yeah. And then it's her career started to fade a little bit after this. I did one of the, the trivia things about this that I enjoyed was that, you know, Jonathan Mostow really wanted Kurt Russell and, uh, I read this whole thing about Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn being like, well, one of us needs to be with the kids. And so she was, I think she was making the first wives club. I think that might've been the movie. Right. So this is a crazy time. So Kurt Russell is in two ninety six movies. He's an executive decision, another great action movie. Mm -hmm. And then he's in escape from LA by John yes. Carpenter. And then he does this all within about a year. And at the same time, Goldie Hawn is partner at the time they you know, they were they had kids and she made two films. She made Everyone Says I Love You, the musical, and she made First Wives Club. And so that's like the one time where they were both like actively making lots of films at the same time. So I imagine it must have been difficult on them for a year well, or so. And I don't know if you I don't know if you if you read this, but something I thought that was great, which was um, but M Mostow really wanted him. And so Kurt Russell was like, here's the thing. I, I can do your movie but I need to be home every night for dinner. And they flew him back and forth every day. And, oh, wow. And so he And apparently from what I, he never missed a meal, he was still there in the evening to, to be with his family. And, but, and they, they, they met his demands and he was able to, to do this movie. That's awesome. I wonder, I would love to know like the behind the scenes, like was the studio pressuring 
Mostow to, to hire a bigger name for this role. I love that he settled on Russell. I mean, not to say that Russell's, you know, not an A-lister, but I feel like he he's he was, he he's never been quite at the top, right? Like they could have gone with a really big name for this role. I love that they settled on Russell because he was the perfect choice for this. Well, I think I think it was Russell from the beginning because I also I also read that uh, Mostow and uh, and Russell sort of sep- like they separately were thinking about who they were going to cast as Red, and when they came back to when they came back together, they both said JT Walsh. <laughs> so yeah. I I, I want to say Kurt Russell was probably there from the beginning to help with. I mean, if he's there helping with casting ideas, then I'm you know this is a movie that when you go on Wikipedia and you look around, there's not very much about it. I was so happily surprised. I don't know if you knew this. I looked up today. There was a Blu-ray that came out of this movie last year, and it's got a commentary by the director and Russell. I had no idea. I just ordered it on Amazon. <laughs> I so I think you have that. I so it's funny you say that. I don't have the. I think it's Paramount that released Paramount that. new Blu-ray. I actually got one that came out before that. I didn't think I was going to even say this. So I am such a uh, physical media snob. Um, I actually have an Australian. It's called Imprint. Oh. It's okay. imprint label. Um, it came out first. Trust me, if I knew that Paramount had it in the works, I would not have spent the extra money for shipping to get. Is this it the fit. same bonus features? I think there actually might be a f- one or two things that aren't on the Paramount one. Uh, oh, the, the commentary track is for sure. I mean, I've had my DVD from like '98 forever, and there's nothing. I think maybe a trailer. Yeah. And the Blu-ray also has an 11-minute alternate opening that shows. Uh, Jeff at his job and like speaking to his wife at home before the movie even begins the movie that we know I'm so excited I just ordered it I'm so excited to watch an alternate opening to one of my favorite films exactly exactly um well considering who we were just talking about this next award I don't think is going to shock anybody so this is the Dante's Peak Award for the performer or director who is currently held in the highest regard doesn't everybody love Kurt Russell I mean yeah, what a career he has had. I mean, he, his career goes back to like the 19, late 1950s, early 60s, starting in television and Disney films. Yeah, when he was a, a, a young chap. We've talked about him on Film at 50. He was in a bunch of Disney films, late 60s, early 70s. And then his amazing like transition from Disney to adult actor, which just took a few years. And then he starts working with Carpenter. And he's in so many great films of the 80s, especially by Carpenter. Well, definitely. And then... Tarantino. I yes. mean, he's just worked with the best of the best. We're going to we're going to table the extended Kurt Russell conversation. Okay. That is, that's definitely <laughs> coming up. Um, so now we're going to get into some of the 90s specific awards. So the first one here is the Talk to the Hand Award for the most dated piece of dialogue dated as in it was very 97, not as in like, oh, boy, I can't believe you said that. Um, I, I kind of t- I said mine earlier. Because I don't think that the phrase shit for brains has made it to 2022. <laughs> but I like that. When, when MC Ganey came out and at like, we, we all need a CB handle. Hey, I got one for you. How about shit for brains? I was like, oh my God, shit for brains. That's amazing. Nobody says that anymore. <laughs> yeah, there was a line early in the movie I thought was dated with that part where JT Walsh says, boy, back in my day, you just kick these things and, and they'd start right up. And now they got computers and chips and you don't know what to do. Or so I was like, yeah, that's a 97 line. That is also, <laughs> that is so great. That's not only is that 97, that's old man in 97. Too. Old man, 97. <laughs> that's great. I think we got a couple of strong contenders there. Um, 
Okay, so then the the next award is the I'm waiting for my facts award for the most dated prop or idea. Now, we've seen we've seen cell phones and pay phones and other movies that we've covered so far. Very 97. But but my winner, and when the scene happened, I was like, I kind of gasped because like, oh my God, this is this has to be the winner. Is the idea of physically having to go into a bank to transfer money. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, oh my God, that's right. You had to go in and like sign papers and then wait for them to like clickety clack it. And fa- and was like, oh my God, like it's so easy now. Like, like you, I can just Venmo your money. It's like done going into a bank to do a, a money transfer was like, I don't think there's anything other than like the, the phone stuff. That's more 97 than that. Yeah. That's a great one. We didn't really talk about the bank scene. Something that I've, I've also bothered me a little bit. Like, so what do they say? What does he say that he can give him $500? Is that right? Um, Something was, like that. Yeah. For non-bank, for non-bank for non-bank customers. It was, it was the advance. I mean, I think that was an advance, but I also don't know. I don't, I don't remember if we actually hear how much, he had like, I think he actually mentions how much money they have, which is nowhere near near ninety thousand dollars. But J T Walsh, he says like, okay, you're gonna give give me that money, or I'm gonna kill her. Like he's a smart guy. He thinks that he thinks that Jeff can just walk into this random bank and come out with ninety grand. Well, again, <laughs> I, I think I think if it's if he actually had the money and then could like you know get the whatever like. Like in cash? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, in this podunk bank, I know. It just I seems un, it just seems unlikely. You think like JT Walsh's character might have thought through that a little more. <laughs> I know. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my so mine would just be the cell phone. Like that scene right before things get really crazy, before he like takes the car into the river when he's just he's on the phone and it's like huge and he's yeah. like trying to get service. I thought was very 97. <laughs> yeah, and, and the sound that that phone made when it didn't work. I, I felt like my parents' older versions of self. I remember hearing a sound like that, um, which was which also took me back. Um, okay, so the uh, the next award is the the holy shit they were in this movie award for best surprise performance or cameo. I, I don't really know that there's anybody uber famous that comes in, but I do. For me, it was the reminder that Jack McGee was in Jack it McGee as the bartender. He he's he's just behind there, and it's funny because I think we're definitely meant to believe that he might be in on it. But I don't think he's in on it. Yeah, that's like a weird line, too. Was that Jack Noseworthy is Billy and says, uh, you know, the police are the ones in on it. It's kind of a strange line. <laughs> and it's like, I can't t- like, are these guys just like trying to psychologically torture him, too? Because the sheriff's not in on it. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I would hope not. I mean, he's like he's convinced that Jeff is the bad guy. And yes, he refuses to even consider Earl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would um, say MC Ganey would be the other one too. I mean, he's popped up in a lot of things. He has a very memorable cameo in Sideways from 04 when he <laughs> runs out of the house naked. That he does. <laughs> that he does. I I was I th- I thought for some reason you were going to reference his stint on Lost, but yes, we do. Oh, and Lost too. <laughs> we do see his 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 naked dong as he runs out of the house and it's Sideways. Um, so then the next award is the uh, what we call here the Great White Ninja Award for the most problematic storyline slash character slash piece of dialogue. I think you actually said it earlier, which was the uh, JT Walsh alluding to um, basically alluding to Kathleen Quinlan's pubic hair. Uh, yeah, probably. And, and like and it obviously works in a way that makes him creepy. But it's also like, oh, God, that's that's a tough line. 
Yeah, I mean, you really need to sell him as this monster, as this horrible person, and that's the line that does it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it works exactly. for the movie. Exactly, exactly. Um, so the show is obviously called Rewind Twenty Five Fifty Two, but we like to do something here called Fast Forward Twenty Five Fifty Two, where we we could possibly recast the director and one of the major roles with people who are working today. I'll 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 tell you who I went with. I I don't I don't know why. Just go along go along this journey with me. So first of all. Kurt Russell's going to cameo in the movie. I don't know who he's playing, <laughs> but we get older Kurt Russell in the movie. He's in it. Maybe he's, maybe he's Jack McGee behind the bar. Um, so for director, I was like, well, let's not, I'm not giving this to Justin Lin, right? I'm not giving this to anybody who's going to make it bigger. I want it gritty. And I'm going with somebody who's worked with Kurt Russell before. And I'm going with S Craig Zaylor who directed him in Bone Tomahawk. And he also directed like Brawl on Sublock 99 and Dragged Across Concrete. I feel like the, like a like an uber gritty version of Breakdown in his hands could be could be interesting, and I was thinking who's an who's a lead actor. We need to let's let's you know de Caucasian this movie a little bit, and I was thinking, do you know who I really like? Riz Ahmed. Oh, that's a great choice. And I I just I really like what he what he does, and I'm thinking, he's he. I, he has such range in, in everything from like Sound of Metal to him in Nightcrawler. Like I was like, you know what? I want to see Riz Ahmed like constantly have to adapt to the new thing. That's I mean, he does it great in Sound of Metal, but like something with a bit more like of these big, big stakes. Um, so that was that's what I went with. How that's you, great. How do you feel about that? So yeah, I, I, Riz Ahmed is fantastic. I could see him in in, in a movie like this. I was like, if they were going to re remake Breakdown in this decade, I was like, you know what? I'd love to see it. I'd love to see the genders flipped. <laughs> sure. And have the star of the movie be the female. And I'd say it should be recent Oscar winner now. Jessica Chastain would, I think, be really great in this role. So I would go with Jessica Chastain, and I would love for her to reunite with her Zero Dark Thirty director, Catherine Bigelow. What would Catherine Bigelow do with Breakdown, starring Jessica Chastain with the genders flipped? That would be cool. That would be my take. <laughs> well, and I think any excuse to get Catherine Bigelow working with Jessica Chastain again is I'm all I'm all for it. I'm all and for I love it. I love Bigelow's uh, Near Dark from the '80s. Like she made like some really good gritty kind of thrillers, horror films at the beginning of her career. I would love to see her go back to that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, just a few questions left, a few things that we'll go over. So we're, we're now to the, the Oscar re-examination, the Oscar re-examination question where we look at the film and go, should this movie have been nominated for any Oscars? Um, so I decided, well, let's look at best supporting actor that year. Maybe could, could JT Walsh have slipped in? So, um, this is the year that Robin Williams wins for Goodwill Hunting. Other nominees that year are uh, Burt Reynolds in Boogie Nights, Anthony Hopkins in Amistad, Greg Kinnear in As Good As It Gets, and uh, the late Robert Forster in Jackie Brown. So is there a world where J.T. Walsh can, can slip in here? Yeah, I know that category well. I did a video a few months ago on the Best Supporting Actor race for 97, and I really dug deep into those five actors and yeah there's no room for anyone else i mean i would say of the five <laughs> like if i had to let one go it'd be greg kinnear and as good as it gets i was never a big fan of that movie overall and it's okay uh so i guess but that movie was so wildly popular at the time it won best actor best actress it got nominated for picture yep like greg kinnear was gonna get in so i yeah i don't think i i think the like if there was 
anything this movie could have gotten at the Oscars, it would have been like sound effects editing or something. That'd be it. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I personally would have, I mean, if this movie had come out in the fall, like in November and had been, you know, more critically praised and it got enough love. Like I think maybe Kurt Russell could have gotten in like at the golden globes. Like if the movie had been praised more, but in, sure. for an early May release for the suspense film at this level, I don't think the Oscars were going to take notice of it, even though they should have. Yeah, I, 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 I think it falls into that sort of uh, genre trope. You know, thrillers and horror movies have a hard time busting through. Yeah, it's tricky because the like my favorite genre, thriller, horror. These are this is my jam, and I talk about it all the time. You know, so much great work being done in this genre that's never recognized by the Academy, especially Tony Collette and Hereditary. I, I talk that, about yeah. that all the time. Yep, that comes like to that mind. was the best performance of the year, male or female. Yeah. And the fact that that didn't get in, at least get nominated, is insane to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. What so happens? It happens. Definitely preaching to the choir on that one. <laughs> um, so second to last question. And and considering how much we like this movie, this this could be fun. So the question is, does this film make anyone's Mount Rushmore? I wanted to focus specifically on Kurt Russell. Um, now, I always have a hard time with this because I'm trying to balance my own preferences of performances that I like versus the things that are maybe the most iconic that appeal to you know the more broader spectrum. So I want I want you to I want I want you to hear me out on what I picked as the four. Now, I these are not my four favorite, but just hear me out. So, Kurt Russell's Mount Rushmore. I went with The Thing, Tombstone, Death Proof, and The Christmas Chronicles. <laughs> Over Breakdown? Yes, yes. The Christmas Chronicles. Now, now I, I, have, I have I have a reason, reason for this. this. Now, now, now before actually before we move on, I would like to tell you what my personal Kurt Russell Mount Rushmore would be, which is the thing: Big Trouble in Little China, Death Proof, and Tombstone. Okay. But the reason I went with the Christmas Chronicles is because Kurt Russell sort of transferred over into this thing that, like, my kids now know as Santa. Right. <laughs> so. It's like, do I think that he's amazing in it? No, but I do think that it's really iconic in a weird way. This conversation came up uh, a few weeks ago with Jim Carrey uh, when we did Liar Liar, and we, uh, my guest and I, kind of thought that the, how the Grinch stole Christmas could could easily be on it because it's so iconic and it's a Christmas movie, and he does do a really good job with creating this character. So it's like. I don't know. The holiday movies, if if they've got enough steam behind them, can be really memorable. I don't think it's very good, but yeah, I I watched both of those. I'm a huge Kurt Russell fan, a huge Goldie Hawn fan. To see them together was kind of exciting, but those movies have so much CGI. Yeah, like it's hard oh. for me to get involved with them. Yes. They're just overloaded with CGI. <laughs> I, oh, trust me, trust me. I agree. That's very much. I'm watching for my kids' sake. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but. I and I, you know, I listed a few, but were, are there any any noticeable movies that I I didn't mention? Like in terms of like consideration for the Rushmore? Uh, like I think one of his best dramatic performances, the only one that got him a major nomination at the Golden Globes was Silkwood from '83 by Meg Nichols with Meryl Streep. He's like the guy in that, and he's really yep. great in it. He's uh, her boyfriend in that movie. Uh, I the, it came out at the right time because I was like seven years old or something, but I watched this a lot. Was Captain Ron? 
<laughs> which I, is like know, a really I, funny Kurt Russell performance. I had I had overboard of the comedies listed on here as, as <laughs> overboard too. Yeah. If I if I if I did a podcast about Kurt Russell and didn't mention overboard, I think my wife would like stab me in the knee. So I definitely had to put it out there. He's also really great in Miracle. He went back to Disney in 04 Miracle. And yeah. he's also fantastic in uh, The Hateful Eight, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Another I, Tarantino movie he appeared in. Yep. Yep. Um, perfect. So so we now come to the last question. And I will read it verbatim as I do every show. In another 25 years, when the world descends into chaos and madness, will anyone remember this film? Will it be worthy of another reexamination? So when we're do when you're doing film at 50 and you get to 97, <laughs> I don't people, think that's going to happen. Will, <laughs> will this movie be worthy of a discussion in another 25 years? Oh, absolutely. I think. 25 years from now, there'll be even more nostalgia for the 80s and the 90s and the way that films looked then. You know, I mean, there's there's obviously exceptions every year, but so many movies now, they just, they don't have the same texture, the same feel of films from the previous century. Like the movies that we grew up with, I just think movies like Breakdown, they don't, they don't come out anymore. And if they do, they're relegated to Netflix and they're hard to find these days. It's just like everything that's not big is going to streaming yeah. which is so sad to me i like seeing these movies in the theater but yeah. i think breakdown is absolutely worthy of a discussion 25 years from now i think i i don't know i don't hear about it very much like i don't see it ever memed or on twitter or anything like i feel like it is this like underrated hidden thriller gem that not enough people have seen or talk about well, and it's so funny. They should. <laughs> well, it was funny. I again of all the trivia that I found, there was another thing that I pulled that I thought was really interesting. So apparently, in 2014, Time Out pulled several film critics, directors, actors, and stunt actors to list their top action movies, and Breakdown made the list at 90. Really? That's yes. fantastic. I didn't know that. Which you know, it's it's tough to kind of balance. Like, is this a thriller? Is this an action movie? But the fact that I mean, considering all of the action movies that are in existence, the fact that this movie actually cracked that list is is pretty amazing. And I mean, my answer to this question is I, I absolutely hope that we're talking about this movie in 25 years. You know, one thing that we didn't say about it, which is just more of a practical thing, is that if you if you like stop at the credits, this movie is less than 90 minutes. It's a quick entertaining watch so you're not even committing a huge chunk of your day to a movie it's it is more than worth your time yeah we should mention that before we wrap up here and that i love this is especially true of a lot of 90s action films when the bad guy dies when the story's over we go to credits we do not linger around for 10 more minutes for an epilogue to see how jeff and his wife are doing the next day the movie is done we're out like, I yeah. love that. So many movies today, they linger for more scenes when the story's over, and I can't stand that. Breakdown yeah. avoids that. It starts at the right place, and it ends at the right place. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, well, Brian, I, I, thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to give you uh, a platform to talk about what you're doing. Yeah, so I have two projects I'm working on right now. The first, as we talked about, is my podcast, Film at 50, been doing that since the fall of 2020. I love films of the 70s. So every week with a guest, we talk about a film from 50 years ago. 
Many of them I've never seen before. So sometimes I'm surprised by the quality. Sometimes I'm happily surprised. I love finding new gems I've never seen before or heard of before. And so, yeah, we're looking at the films of 1972. We just did The Godfather. I had Kenneth Turan, the yes. former film critic of the Los Angeles Times, on for an hour to talk to Godfather. That was a huge thrill. And we, a few weeks before, I talked to Be Kind Rewinds Izzy. Uh, we talked about Cabaret, which is another, of course, very popular film from that year. And sometimes I have special guests on. Last year we did, I had uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I had Julie Don Cole, who played Baruch Salt in that film. I had her come on all the way from England for an hour to talk about the movie. A, and that was amazing. the most surreal, thrilling hour of the podcast thus far. That was amazing. And so, yeah, we're digging into films of uh, 72. So if you like movies of the 70s, it'd be a fun podcast for you. My other project is Brian Rowe Video. It's my new YouTube channel. It's mostly about Oscar history. And I do deep dives into categories from going from the 90s up to today. And we talk about uh, all the different nominees and the surprises and I show clips and I really if you like that kind of stuff where it's it's not just like you know mentioning who won what it's like really talking about why did this person win over this person and I really talk about their careers as a whole and it's been a lot of fun I've been doing that since November check it out at Brian Rowe video and, and we, we will definitely, definitely link, link both, both of those uh, in, in the show, show notes, notes for this, this. Um, and, and I, 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 do, I, I listened to, uh, I know of all the ones I, I just listened to, because I'm saving the, the Godfather one when I've got like a set time. time. Was, cool. um, because I recently watched on a whim, I blind bought the keynote of the Night Stalker. And, oh, uh, yeah. Which I, which uh, you talk about gems. I was like that. I thought that was entertaining as all hell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I definitely, I listened to that. And I, and right before this, I watched your reaction to the Oscars which because... <laughs> <laughs> shitty year for oscar history but certainly memorable for all of the wrong reasons um, yeah i did a lot of prediction videos and i just did the final like reaction video i'm very happy to put this oscar season behind me that's all i'll say <laughs> indeed indeed um <laughs> and uh, and of course you can find us at all the places where you social and find podcasts we appreciate you following and all those good things and before we leave you of course here is the IMDb description for next week's film. In the colorful future, a cab driver unwittingly becomes the central figure in the search for a legendary cosmic weapon to keep evil at bay. That will be next week's film. My name is Adam, and this has been Rewind 2552.